0: within session changes in the spine have a small prediction of being able to identify long-term change or medium-term change. The within two between sessions, very solid. And the odds ratios are anywhere from three to four odds times odds of a person who does not have that early change that you see.
1: Manual therapy, the pendulum keeps swinging. Is it high or low value care? Should we use it more or less? Well, today we had Dr. Chad Cook on the podcast. He's co-authored on a few textbooks. He's published on over 250 peer-reviewed manuscripts. He's a clinical lead at Duke University. And he's currently... Publishing a paper called the nine myths of manual therapy. Now we covered a few of those, including does it increase patient reliance and is it high or low value care? I hope you enjoy this episode on manual therapy. My name is Michael Rizk and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Chad. Thank you so much for your time today to talk to us about manual therapy.
0: Michael, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited.
1: We've chatted off air and you've put together uh, a paper which is actually in German, and you've covered uh, nine myths about manual therapy, and we're actually just going to go straight into six of your favorite. The first one is patients don't report better experiences with manual therapy than conventional techniques associated with physical therapy. Can you talk to us about
0: that? Indeed, I can. Um, Actually, manual therapy is one of the things that increases or improves the patient experience. There's actually quite a bit of literature that supports that. There's something about the hands on to the patient where they feel that there's value affiliated with that. And there is a really wonderful study published by Jerry et al. It's more of a narrative Mm -hmm. in um, 2019 and musculoskeletal science and practice that really goes in depth about you know the value of the hands on experience. So I would argue that people probably feel uh, less value affiliated with a hands-off approach than a hands-on approach. So I think that's a, a pretty solid myth.
1: Yeah. And that's a, a narrative-based paper. What what specifically are patients saying? Are they, are they speaking to, I feel like I didn't get hands-on, so I went somewhere else? Or I feel like I didn't get what I was looking for?
0: You know, Michael, I think it's partly when you break down value-based care, and if you look at the CMS definition, value-based care is about cost, it's about quality, but it's also about the patient experience. And there is there are patient expectations that are baked into the patient experience. Patient experience is, is a pretty complex topic, and we, we just published a paper on it recently and, and looked at you know, most of the best tools affiliated with PREMS, Patient um, Reported Experience Measures. And we know that those PRIMS directly affect our outcomes measures. So you have to carefully watch a person's experience and whether you're matching what they think they should get to the kind of care you can provide. And patients tend to seek out clinicians that can provide solid hands-on care or care that they feel like they really need.
1: Mm-hmm. So... Most patients i 'm making a big assumption, and you can correct me. Most patients would come in with some kind of belief system that there would be hands on care, particularly physiotherapy
0: so i 'm not familiar with a study that has broken it down like that. Mm. I can give you my experience um, thirty years as a clinician there is i would I would say sixty to seventy percent of the patients that i 've worked with that have muscle skeletal problems. Probably expect some hands on related care, Mm. you know, at least touching the part. The thing I like about the Jerry et al. article, it it doesn't advocate massage or manual therapy. They just advocate putting your hands on this on the part Mm. and, you know, touching the part, giving that patient an understanding that you're trying to really glean information from this. So to me, that hands-on experience is another element that's just as valuable as whether or not you use a manual therapy approach or, or something of that nature.
1: Do you have a question that you ask or a buffer to try and elicit that information of what a, what a patient might be looking for?
0: I will ask what the, their previous experience has been with physical therapy. I think that's one of my standards and um, tell me about that experience and what seemed to help. Mm. And then i always ask, what do you think's going on with you? I, I, I walk a very careful line about um, divorcing my place as a co-conspirator in this with the the clinician. I think some of the problems with shared decision-making is the way that it's done where you you say, hey, everything has the same outcome, so I'm going to let you make the decision. I don't think that's the right decision. Mm. But I do think that making a connection with the patient, talking to them about What they really believe is helpful. And then you talking about what you think they might need and meeting in the middle. I think that is the ultimate shared decision-making experience where both parties have skin in the game, as Shakespeare would say.
1: I love that. That's a a good couple of questions you can add to your consult. Now, I'm mindful, this is a list of myths that you are busting in the German paper, and I hope it can be transcribed to English. But uh, myth number two was Manual therapy provides only short-term changes which do not equate to long-term outcomes. What did you find with that?
0: Yeah, so a lot of that literature is actually um, mine. Um, We've we've looked at a number of studies where we've identified whether you had a within-session change, in other words, a change during that session, to a between-session change, and that's a change that not only occurred at that first session but carried over to the next session. And then we've evaluated that to medium and long-term experiences and whether or not it predicts recovery for a patient. So what we're finding is within session changes in the spine have a small prediction of being able to identify long-term change mm. or medium-term change. The within two between sessions, very solid. And the odds ratios are anywhere from three to four odds, times odds of a person who does not have that early change that you see. So a between-session change absolutely seems to make a difference. I know of eight studies that have actually published that. Within, not as strong. This is in the spine. If you look at the periphery, the within and between session changes don't seem to be as strong. And I I think most of your clinicians out there have probably recognized that but there seems to be a variation between what we found with the spine and what we've looked at in the periphery. And I'm aware of a study that will be coming out soon that looked at the shoulder, and it did not find any value to a within-session change in predicting medium-term outcome.
1: Okay. So it's a little bit mixed, but a a within or between-session change for a spine, a back pain patient, someone with back pain... Or neck, yeah. ...will have... Um, some predictive value in the medium to long term.
0: It will. Yeah. And most of those individuals, and here's what we uh, hypothesize, and we, we published a paper, I think in 2014 on this, where we, we hop- hypothesize that it actually identifies um, a almost a phenotype of an individual who really is pain modulatory. They're endogenously, they can modulate their own pain. And our feeling is that Yes, it's manual therapy or a passive approach is what elucidated this, but most likely an active approach could do it too. It doesn't have to be just a passive approach. And it's probably more about that patient than it is about the technique used. Hmm.
1: I love that. I think it was Greg Lehman who showed me the quote that sometimes you can just show someone that their pain is malleable really quickly. I think that that's what that speaks to.
0: And Michael, don't you think that's really powerful in a patient to show that they can Self pain modulate, especially on these individuals that are really troubled by what they're dealing with and you know, are, you know, they're catastrophizing about what is going on. If you can show them that there are ways to modify their pain themselves or move with less pain, I'm not sure there's anything better that we can do. Mm. That's pretty valuable stuff.
1: Particularly if you pair it with a narrative like, I couldn't have possibly changed some structure there and you're already moving better or feeling better. So I, I think that's the win-win we're looking for.
0: Yeah, we've got to divorce ourselves of some of these old theories that have um, really plagued, I think, manual therapy. You know, there's a great phrase, uh, we were building the plane as we were flying it. And what we saw were clinical manifestations of interventions Mm -hmm. And this is osteopaths, chiropractors, physios, physios from the 1850s, by the way, were the first to use manual therapy approaches, but all of these interventions, and we were seeing the changes in the clinic, and we didn't know why, and we didn't have the science to explore that or even explain it. So a lot of people made up philosophies, a lot of people marketed those, they cashed in, and have been dogmatic about pushing these theories. And it's been difficult, I think, from for a lot of clinicians to divorce themselves from that.
1: Yeah, it's created mistrust, particularly uh, amongst the new grad physios I'm seeing here. Um, we're going to go on to the third myth, which I really like this use of manual therapy leads to patient reliance and dependency, and therefore low self efficacy. So, how do you bust that myth?
0: Yeah, you know, I saw this in a blog, and it's a person that is a well followed. Um, Twitter personality, and but to be fair, I have probably heard this, I would say, 50 times in when I've taught courses or uh, spoken on a webinar, a podcast, or whatever, and I think what we have is the reiteration effect, which is if you hear something enough, you have source amnesia about where you first heard it, and all of a sudden, it becomes a truth. If we say it enough, it's going to be true. So what we've done is we've actually explored this. We initially started with a systematic review with a specific search strategy. We looked for any paper that explored this concept. We found none. We looked, mm. we looked at over, uh, 350 titles and abstracts. So we went to a scoping review. And so we had a very sensitive strategy. We looked at over 3,000 papers. We haven't found any. So this, this is, a false concept that essentially people assume this occurs, but there's no evidence whatsoever within the literature to support that. If somebody's seeing that, then that's their opinion. But right now, I would argue that they need to take the next step and put some evidence behind that um, because it is, I think, uh, a myth that is hampering a manual therapy right now. I
1: think there's an assumption that patients are silly or just so malleable to assume that if we did some manual therapy, then that's it. They're now reliant on us. So it's it's interesting to hear there's no evidence there.
0: Isn't that just way too simplistic? I mean, in the same blog I read where the individual says that it influences the patient's self-efficacy. Well, this is an individual who obviously has not read about self advocacy self efficacy is quite rooted in a patient and extremely difficult to change and self efficacy is what a patient comes to you with not what you create with the patient so i'm with you i you know it's it's quite naive to think that a, a manual therapy approach or putting your hands on a patient is all of going all of a sudden going to lead this lamb to the slaughter and where they're going to be addicted to this approach um, I don't buy it in a second. Yeah, I think patients, I, patients are a little bit smarter than that.
1: I think so. And I, I think where we have to be careful is making sure our practitioners are really educated in modern narratives and not not um, leaning too much on a structural change with manual therapy. But from what I'm seeing of new grads, I, I think they're getting really good and skilled at that. So, yeah, I think we can do a good job of both.
0: I'm... I'm totally agree with you by the way we need to get away from the structural narrative Mm. manual therapy is a pain modulator and it's a relationship builder and that's about it Mm. it it doesn't change structure it's not going to relocate a spine it's not going to do any of the things that have been advocated in the past by different philosophies we need to extricate that we need to exercise the demon of that and get rid of that it just (laughs) needs to stop
1: The other place it might come from is a correlation more of, you know, what we tend to see is that patient that comes to us who said, yeah, you know, I've been seeing that guy once a week and he does the thing and he rubs my back and he does the thing and the activator and the tools and then I'm not better. So maybe we're building a story or a narrative for ourselves where all the patients we've seen who have had that type of treatment, which is one-dimensional, and then all of a sudden we're making these causation correlation claims about self-efficacy.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I think one of the the big challenges too as a clinician that if that patient has had that experience before where someone has sold them that line and then they saw results after that and then they come to you and then you try to talk some sense into them, that's not an easy sell. Mm-hmm. And changing expectations, we're in a big trial right now where we're actually trying to change patient expectations it's not an easy thing to do most patients are very rooted into what their beliefs are and um you you can ask any individual on cognitive restructuring restructuring therapy i mean you have a lot of losses and a few wins it's Mm. a challenge
1: yeah i love it uh let's go to the next minute manual therapy does not fit within value-based care. This is, I'm so excited. I couldn't get the words out. Tell me about it.
0: Yeah, so value-based care is the, the next big thing, right? And the problem is, is if you if you talk to 10 people on what they feel value-based care is, you'll get 10 different answers. Hmm. And there are a lot of different organizations that are actually advocating different definitions of value-based care. Here in the States, We look at value-based care as cost, quality, and the patient's experience. So you have to consider a balance of all of those elements. Mm. And automatically, for some reason, I think about five, maybe 10 years ago, everybody tossed all passive interventions into a big pile of low value without actually studying this. But if you think about it, some of these active interventions are very costly, and we know and the dirty secret is is that most interventions have about the same effect they have about the same outcome it's something called shared mechanisms it's quite well studied in the psychological literature we talked about it in a narrative in bjsm but most most of the effects and all the interventions passive or active are about the same so this assumption that all passive interventions are low value is a misassumption in fact there's a 2017 study on NEOA, and the highest value-based care intervention was actually TENS. Last time I checked, that's a passive intervention. Mm. So it really depends, I think, on matching that patient experience, the cost element, along with the incremental gain that you see in patient outcomes.
1: I what something that always stumbled me, and I'd be interested in your thoughts, was most most young physiotherapists here in Australia uh, where I am, the consult follow-up consult is usually half an hour, 40 minutes maybe. And of that, they might spend five to 10 minutes doing manual therapy. So even if we made that assumption or that basket of it being low value, I also think that five to 10 minutes of a 30 or 40-minute consult is not enough to say... That that's low value, and you're wasting the patient's time and money for the result that you could get. Do you have any thoughts on the time spent?
0: Yeah, you know, we've actually looked at time spent with manual therapy, and there there really isn't a trend affiliated with that on patient-specific outcomes measures. I think, assuming that a five minute intervention is going to completely derail the train on the care that you're providing that individual, that's a pretty lofty assumption. Mm. And especially when we know that patient-reported outcomes measures are influenced by so many factors outside of treatment. Treatment's only maybe 10% of the change that you see in a patient. Your best friend's going to be natural history. Other factors such as social factors, psychological factors, biological factors, all of those kind of work together. The intervention is a small piece to that. So I think it's much ado about nothing, to throw another Shakespeare reference <laughs> in there. But I, I really don't think attacking a particular intervention and assuming that that is providing low-value care is, is a proper thing. In fact, I, I have a lot of thoughts about this. We don't have time to go into it. But to really influence outcomes, I mean, we should spend time doing other things um, beyond a lot of the traditional things we do in PT.
1: Mm, mm. Chad, there are more myths to bust, and where can people follow you, and what is the name of this German paper, just in case we can get an English transcription?
0: It's called the demonization of manual therapy, yep. And because that's what we do, right? When we don't understand something, we demonize it. Um, we are professionals at that in the United States, and the political side uh, all we ever do is demonize the other party um, so the demonization of manual therapy it's going to be in uh, manual medicine which is a german journal yep. and I'm uh, not sure it probably is going to be a 2021 paper um if you want to follow me i'm at uh, on twitter i'm at chad cook pt and uh that's my only social media platform and uh i try to keep i try to be a a, a gentleman twitterer
1: i like it we need this, the, the, the new generation of Twitterers. Chad, thank you so much for
0: your time today. <laughs> thank you, Michael. I appreciate it.